but I can't just become a maintenance CIO. I have to be an innovation CIO. So I'm gonna have to find some projects that are gonna circle some pretty big wins every single year. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not gonna have investment and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of just you're limping along with legacy applications. Welcome to the CIO Exchange Podcast. I'm Eden Porter de Leon. This conversation was recorded at our CIO Forum in San Francisco in 2019, where I spoke with Patrick Hale, CIO of Vitus Healthcare. Patrick and I discussed the burden on CIOs in healthcare to innovate in an industry where failing fast is not an option. Patrick lays out the intense challenges he faces between regulatory constraints, patient safety, and the pressures to enhance the patient experience with new technology. So Patrick, thanks for joining. Welcome. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, no, I wanted to to talk to you about something that uh, we had a little bit of conversation about. Mm -hmm. You're in healthcare. You're a CIO. Give us a little bit of sense of what is unique about being a CIO in healthcare? What's What makes that different? What makes it critical? What are the burdens that you have on you just beyond the technology? And how do you shoulder that? I think that not a lot of people do realize, but, but healthcare is quite a bit behind the curve. So I in my past, I've been a government CIO. I've been a financial system CIO, doing a lot of M&A work. And I came to healthcare. I was kind of shocked when I first came to healthcare how far behind healthcare is. What was that first sort of smack you in the face like moment of, oh, wow. Oh, we've got a- <laughs> the, we've got this big conference called HIMSS. It's a healthcare information oh, yeah. society. So it's a huge conference every yep. year. It's like my second week on the job. And I was a, right out of government and I was a, became a hospital uh, CTO. And I went to this conference. And I just I remember having a conversation with a couple of vendors that I had just met saying, what is going on here? <laughs> how is how like, is this? Uh, they 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 clocked me and said he's got about a year in healthcare. <laughs> that was many many years ago. So I I outlasted him. But there's a lot of reasons for that. So first of all, it's very difficult to innovate in healthcare, especially acute care. If you think about a hospital and you're going to innovate, trying to innovate a new system or trying to put web-based technology in there, in business you can fail. In healthcare you can't fail. If you fail, people die. I mean, it's, it just really is as simple as that, that the stakes, this is not money you're going to lose. This is when systems are not present, really, really bad things can happen. And those things really are life and death. And so... So your experimentation it, is, process isn't about failing fast and failing often. Right, no. It's not that you can't get out there and get really wild and innovative. You know, there are some things that you can, but when you're really talking about the core business of healthcare, you know, things that monitor our health, the the surgical systems that exist in hospitals, oncology wings and cancer machines and and radiation therapy. You you just can't innovate those things very quickly. You have to do it in small degrees scientifically. So the stakes are one thing. And the other thing is the colleagues that are there. (laughs) So the people that are there are tough. So if you're trying to convince a brain surgeon, I just want you to use this new thing real quick, you're going to have a hard conversation on yeah, that. Yeah, I so, imagine that culture is a so, lot harder to you know, shift. It's not just like, absolutely. hey, let's do, let's be agile. Yeah, <laughs> let's no, do agile yeah, brain surgery. Iterations just, don't go over there's no agile right. brain surgery? Is right. No, 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 no. I don't, I'll say there's, I won't say there's none, but I, I don't think it's a good idea. But healthcare is a challenge. It's a challenge. And it's also at the same time that they're, you know, I sound like I'm making excuses for being behind. There really isn't any excuses. And that's one of the things why I love where I'm at with Vitas is that CIOs, healthcare CIOs, cannot hide our head in the sand and say we can't catch up because it's difficult, because it's hard. We have to find a way to be perfect the first time every time. We have to find a way to do that because everything that frustrates everybody that's listening to this podcast right now about healthcare can be fixed. 
Yeah. And that's a fact, you know. So there is no reason why when we go from our family physician to an urgent care clinic to the pharmacy to the emergency room to get surgery, why we have to answer the same questions 27 times. And There's really no reason for and that. Fill out, wait, wait, and keep, I keep having to fill out pieces yes. of paper. Yep. <laughs> is that the, don't the, you have the, the, main, the main reason of that, too, that there's a, there's a trust with sharing those records between entities that are disparate. So we're a post what's called a post-acute provider. So people come out of a hospital, and we're one of the country's largest providers of hospice services. And so we get referrals from hospitals. And that transition of information from your discharge from the hospital, your admitted to VTOS, that's sacrosanct. And so the more that we can do, they call that in healthcare, it's called interoperability. And it's been the holy grail for 10, as long as I've been a CIO in healthcare. And little by little, we're getting there. But it's, it's too little and too long. And it really needs to get better faster. And there's, there's remedies, you know, I, we could talk for seven hours about all that, but there really <laughs> is a lot that in healthcare than other industries, they've gotten out of their own way. I like to put it this way. You can type four digits into a machine anywhere in the world and it gives you money, but you can't get your health information. You can't get your lab results, right? So this is, you know, these are problems we can solve and we really just have to adopt technology that's been matured over the last 15, 20 years in other industries and bring it to healthcare for the first time. And that's a lot of what we're doing at, uh, at VTOS today. Yeah, because that just fascinates me, that problem of innovating healthcare, because it is, it just seems like this insurmountable obstacle. As you said, you can do it, it can be done, but it sounds like the biggest problem is maybe there are some gatekeepers, maybe people who are disparate holders of data, may yeah. not want to have their data you know, integrated. Do you feel like it's gonna take like a third party? Some like ways. Apple's gotta come along and create an app that brings everybody some together. Some ways, but there's been a lot of big players that have taken chances and it hasn't worked out yet. It hasn't solved the problems yet. I think, you know, as a CIO that lives in this world every day, and again, I don't want to have everybody feel terrible about healthcare in the country, because it is, <laughs> it's, it's innovating very rapidly. But as a CIO that's in that space, I tend to focus on things we can do. One of the things with, with VTOS is about 80% of our patients are cared for in the home. So this, this is not a business where uh, people are making appointments to come into their doctor and they sit down in the waiting room and we can kind of control the environment. We have no control over the environment. So we've enabled all of our clinicians with mobile devices. Our clinical workstation is a mobile device. So we've enabled a mobile workforce with mobility. And it's made a huge difference for us, just in terms of how technology is adopted, how easy it is to use. We can do clinical assessments at the bedside in a way, if you just think about what a native mobile application brings to the table in healthcare, where you used to have to sit down and type out acetaminophen or type out long detailed notes about where certain things are. We use a body picker. So we have a picture of a body and you click on the left leg and you then go through a series of some scrolling items, what's happening, you're having pain in your left leg, to what degree, and instead of using key clicks, you're using scrolls and swipes. It's the easiest thing I can tell you, but it shaves time off of that clinical interaction like you would not believe. And it's that and expectation so, too of those right. clinicians too, I mean, because they're using their, all their other apps and they're, yeah, and they're we, swiping I, left and swiping right. And, yeah, they're <laughs> using the same apps you're using, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. in, their, in their everyday life, we're running our lives on mobile technology, yeah. mobile devices, mobile applications, but for some reason that hasn't quite translated yet into our work lives. And so I think increasingly, you know, that's going to be a huge trend. It's certainly a trend that we really believe in. We've invested a lot of money and effort in it. And we've seen 
just tremendous strides. I mean, so one of the things that's happened with our clinicians in terms of this adoption is it's about 20 times more effective to train a clinician. So we used to have to spend about 20 hours when we hire a new nurse and we, we have them come in and they, they go out to see our patients and admit our patients. It used to take about 20 hours to train that nurse to do what she needed to do. Today, she gets an iPhone, it shows up, one of the large form factor iPhones. She signs in with her credentials and it immediately sells the device self-configures and then self-orients her. And within one hour, that nurse is ready to be productive to see her first patient. And so when you talk about a 20X time frame of training and making people productive, that's more time at the bedside. That yeah. translates to more patient interactions, more family interactions. Yeah. And that's actually why people went into nursing is because they want to spend time yeah. with their patients. Of all things you could imagine, they yeah. didn't do it to put stuff into a computer. You know, yeah. they want to be with be like their a, patients. A database and, admin. And, they don't yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had a doctor tell me at the hospital I used to work at, he said, all, all these, all these uh, clinical systems we put in place, all they've done is they've just successfully created the largest data entry workforce and most expensive data entry workforce the world has ever seen. Doctors are pretty upset about yeah. <laughs> how technology is now yeah. become the center of the clinical conversation. And, and it really is, they've done a lot of good, but one of the things, one of the unintended consequences of the rapid automation of healthcare that we've been undergoing for the last eight or nine years has been that clinical satisfaction has gone way down. And we really have to solve that. I mean, that's something uh, I know all of my peers are taken very seriously, but it's something that we've really got to solve. And, and it's funny that a CIO's role in healthcare now is to get IT out of the conversation, but you want it to yeah. almost be invisible. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's human to human. I mean, that's the highest yeah. value. I mean, the highest value of that interaction is that human interacting with the other human. The technology is just there to enable that, the that's capturing right. of the information, facilitate that diagnose all the different things. So it's, there's, I see there's this intensity with the role of the CIO in healthcare. I'm sure as you talked about all your colleagues, because you, you have these end users that want consumer-like you know, app experiences. Right. You have this really, really high bar of, it has to work right the first time because right. people's lives are on the line. But you still have people who are saying, be good stewards of money, and by the way, innovate. Yeah, that is all true. <laughs> <laughs> that is all true. Uh, yeah, we're especially sprinkle, the good stewards yeah. of money thing. That's, we're going to sprinkle a bunch of regulations all over. Like yeah, all they make over. it. Yeah, it's, nobody's making it easy. Yeah. yeah, just like I imagine my my kid with the sprinkles on the cupcake, and she's just like, "Here's your regulation, all of just all over coming. there." Keep, with the, with the exception on. that you know your kid is it is like a child with sprinkles because there's way too many sprinkles. You can't even taste the cupcake anymore. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I will say that's the role. That's yeah. the life. So you always have in your IT portfolio. You always have some section of your portfolio that's a must do because regulations have changed and they changed an awfully awful lot now so uh, the pace of that's pretty intense but you have to find I mean I want to be really careful about whining too much about that because the bottom line is I come from a school I, when I first uh, be became I was the first CTO of the state of Michigan and I joined the state of Michigan at a time when that state was going through just tremendous economic turmoil so our stats were worse than the Great Depression in the state of Michigan oh, wow. in 2000 so you could imagine about 25% unemployment wow. uh, one out of every five people you knew was unemployed. We lost, over the course of the six years that I was there, we lost one-third of our state's population. They, they left for Texas, for Florida, for other states where they could find work. So very, very intense experience trying to make sure that state services stayed up and running so that the tax basis, the budget with which you were dealing with was dwindling. So it was very dire circumstances. But what happens in that environment is 
people get really serious about what they can do. Mm -hmm. And so the attitude that I had then and that I still have today is you're never gonna have more money than you have this year. Yeah. So you better find ways to talk to your board, to talk to your boss, to make sure that you're being an advocate for things that are gonna ultimately save budget. And then you have to be all over making sure that ROI happens because that's what's gonna preserve your budget for next year. So you always have to look, I always look at my budget as, you know what, if I don't innovate, if I don't have something on my portfolio, I can't let my portfolio get consumed just with all the must-dos. I can't just become a maintenance CIO. I have to be an innovation CIO. So I'm going to have to find some projects that are going to circle some pretty big wins every single year. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not going to have investment. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of just you're limping along with legacy applications. And I can tell you, I've never had a job where that hasn't been possible or hasn't been possible to build your budget with efficiencies. I just I haven't I haven't seen it. There's yeah. enough inefficiencies, and I think maybe that's a secret that none of the CIOs will tell you. <laughs> but there's always efficiencies out there. There's always better ways to do things. And the good news is that innovations far outstrip our ability to adopt right now. So there's yeah. always something new over the horizon we can see, do, which is super exciting. I mean, that just that you know, AI and RPA are just they're just, just me, green fields of wonderful things to come. And I, I want to get into that. That just fascinates me though, because it's like two phrases that I, I hear together. It's like one, and but I don't hear them together. I hear them separate. One is, you'll never have more budget than you have this year. But then the other half of that saying, technology will never be as slow a paced as it is right, right now. now. Every year it's going to be faster. <laughs> right and every year it's going to be the year you have the most budget. You're not going to have any or more. Let me, let me how do, put it to you How do you put those two together? I was talking with a friend of mine. Okay, yeah. So think about Steve Jobs and Bill Gates right? Mm-hmm. 20 years ago. The barriers that they had to innovate. right? They had to like get out their soldering gun. They had yeah. to build a motherboard. Yeah. There was not a thing called an operating system at that time. And now every college graduate, every computer engineering college graduate for 50 bucks has the computing power of an entire data center at their fingertips. There's no computing power is not a barrier of entry. When Facebook first started, they would sweat, how many servers do I have? I have too many users. They couldn't grow fast enough. That's just not even a problem today. That's not a problem today. So it's never been better for technologists than it is right now. So there's there's like no excuses left. So we, yeah. we just gotta like so get, that's not get an on excuse. It. It's not like, an and in fact, it's the opposite that no, now there, because there's so much innovation, yeah. because, and all this great stuff has just become platformed, it's become a ubiquitous, and now you have all of this easily consumable, less expensive, ubiquitous technology that all you have to do is harness it, yeah. use it properly, and then you that's can... That's the hard yeah, part, the, the, right. That's, that's, that's I think the that's, hard. Using that's it the properly use it proper. is the tough one. Yeah. That's the tough part. Because yeah. I know like, people have kind of come into this period of life where they just give their data away and, and privacy's gone out the window, but that's not your reality. Yeah, I would not recommend your, your listeners do that. <laughs> <laughs> I do not recommend they give their yeah. data. You know, everyone has seen that end-user license agreement and just swipes, yeah, I agree, because they want to use, you know, you know, but a lot of our, the, the newest app or something like that. But <laughs> a lot of our teams are really intimidated by that. And I find myself sometimes kind of in a, I've got like a dual brain that's like, oh my God, I can't keep up with this. I mean, I just t- times when you're tired, you're having a bad day. You can't keep up with this level of innovation and change. But at the same time, our job is to get our teams to tally-ho. You've got to go. You've got to light the candle. You've got to get the innovation done. And so with very few barriers, we have to really start thinking a lot more entrepreneurially in our IT teams. We have to start being excited about those changes a lot more than we are. We have to really grasp hold of these new things. 
And if you don't put your toe in the water, I mean, I, I do hear from a lot of folks that, oh, these are just fads. They're all just going to go. But if you never put your toe in the water, you're never going to know. Yeah. And if you've yeah. got a good team, you're going to know pretty quick yeah. if this is just hype or if it's really going to have some promise. You know, yeah. So it doesn't take much time or investment to find out what's real and, and what's not. And that's our job. our job. Our job as CIOs is to have that incubator always active, have our people always excited. And I, t I tell you, in our, I hear a lot of CIOs complain and worry about shadow IT. I mean, that's the least of my problem. Yeah, if gone I have a, an organization, I would feel so, I can't tell you, I would feel so uncomfortable if I came to work and everything was fine and I go talk to my users and they're so happy and everything's <laughs> great and we don't have to change anything and let's just keep doing what we did yesterday. I think I'd go crazy if I had that, but we have to embrace that level of demand. So every time we have that unrealistic physician that tells us, I want a Star Trek communicator, I just want to talk into it. And <laughs> have, people, have you done the tricorders? Can you do we, those medical we tricorders? We haven't done the tricorders yet, but you? I have to tell you, <laughs> putting a power of a mobile device in the hands of a clinician is a pretty special thing. There's hundreds of apps every month, every new apps that are healthcare apps every month that you can make available. You sort of tap into this really, this giving tree of solutions that really just makes almost anything possible. And so I, I you know, I'm a big mobile advocate, so I don't want to spend all the time talking about that because there's certainly a lot of hardcore application development that needs to be done. Uh, there's a lot of hardcore just processing and and all this has to work on a data center that doesn't go down yep, <laughs> and is secure yeah. and all those things that are so critical, they're just table stakes. You just mm -hmm. have to do those things now. Yeah. But it really is, it's an exciting time to be in IT and yeah. especially healthcare IT. Yeah, I mean, well tell we, me about some of the, because you mentioned incubators and some of the new stuff that you want to kind of oh, do. I, 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 I'm just totally excited about so we're using virtual reality right now. We've started a pilot in California where we're using virtual reality as distraction therapy. Oh, wow. And so we had our first initial trial test. It's just game changing. So we offer virtual reality experiences for patients who are bed bound, can't get out of bed, but they want to go to their country of origin. They want to visit their home country one last time. Yeah. So we give them these experiences. We had our very first patient that used VR. And then our whole goal here with this is to try to reduce the amount of opioids that we have to give our patients. So we have a lot of patients that, that just face, you know, really debilitating pain in their final days as they struggle with a life-limiting illness. And we want to use less opioids so they stay more lucid and, and can have more cogent conversations with their loved ones, uh, say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done. And we had one oncology patient. She was in such pain, so her pain score was a 10, and literally blowing across her skin was painful to her. Wow. She had two three-minute virtual reality therapies, which were really, I think, one. she visited Machu Picchu and was able to walk the ruins and look around. And I think when one was a guided meditation uh, that was in an English garden. And after those two, three minutes, six minutes, six minutes, so she, her pain scores at a 10, six minutes with VR, a nurse is able to hold her hand, and she slept quietly for six hours after that, when she, which she had not done in weeks. Wow. So this, the, the power of, yeah, the power of some of this technology that we just don't think about, the power of the human brain 
to become engaged and to turn off some pain receptors are things we're just now finding out about. So I can't tell you how excited I am for that. And then, you know, if you think about clinical training, so you have clinical training, the best way to train a clinician is in a hands-on kind of way, even just for patient interactions, difficult patient interactions with families. And so we're now entering into figuring out how we might be able to better arm our clinicians for difficult conversations by putting them in an augmented reality situation where they, they walk into a room where they have a negative interaction with a family and we can learn from that without actually having to have that happen with our patients and families. Yeah. And so there's all kinds of uh, use cases for VR that are really, I think, just going to change the way we work and the way we learn. And uh, so we're pretty, we're pretty heavily invested in finding out what those are and seeing where that goes. No, it's exciting. So we adopted full-scale data center virtualization. So we're fully, uh, fully software-defined data center by the end of this year. So our compute, our network, and our storage are all virtualized under you guys. That was because of one thing, because workloads are unpredictable. And our demand, we, we think we've done a pretty good job of forecasting our demand, and then we introduced this little thing called the data warehouse, and we introduce these new technologies, and it just really becomes variable compute becomes extremely important. And the last thing you ever want is to be slowed down by your infrastructure, right? So the nimbleness that we find in those solutions is important. I think that's fascinating. One last thing I wanted to talk to you about is sort of that modernization. Because yeah. you're talking about VR, you're talking about the mobile experience. Do you really see a connection between the modernization of that application portfolio, your infrastructure, and, a, and see a direct correlation to what that customer, that patient experience is like as you do that oh, modernization? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're completely linked. So we, we've just gone through really significant modernization of our data center and our infrastructure, right? So we're a fully software-defined data center now. We're 98% we're virtualized. We went through that for one reason only, that, that really the demands are pretty unpredictable. So we really believe that we have to be open to making big pivots in strategy. And the last thing you need to be or can be limited by is your legacy infrastructure. Yeah, and so exactly. we've, we've very much focused on making sure that we have nimbleness in our ability to throw our compute, our network, our storage into situations that we didn't previously plan for. So we've architected our solutions so that we can scale out and up we can scale, it just is not going to be an issue for us. So uh, you can leverage cloud systems, we can integrate data from cloud back to our on-prem, you know, we have a private cloud at Vitas that we manage. So I really am a firm believer strategically, you got to be a, you, you have to be open to innovation wherever it's going to be. And if anybody's telling you they can predict that, they're wrong. <laughs> so you really have yeah. to create a nimbleness in your, in your infrastructure to be able to do that. So no, that's great. To work. It's great. Well, Patrick, I appreciate you coming on to the CIO Exchange podcast. Oh, it was wonderful. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the CIO Exchange podcast. For more conversations with technology leaders from around the world, consider subscribing to this podcast. And to get video perspectives and deep research, visit vmware.com slash CIO.